Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Brendan Burns and Craig Quartermain. I uh, met them in a tea shop, and uh, so there's a bit of ambient noise. I don't think it interferes too much with the conversation. There is a little content warning uh, in that uh, if you are deeply affronted by deliberately provocative statements about race, you might want to skip this one. I had It's a really interesting conversation. I really like these guys. Both of them are great. And they make a great double act. If you're in Edinburgh, you should go and see them. I wanted to say thank you to everybody who's been contributing to the Patreon. It's really wonderful. It's such an incredible thing, especially now that I'm heading to Edinburgh. It makes my life a lot easier. It means I can keep producing content without being completely underwater. And I uh, appreciate a couple of people who've been sending me really lovely emails, some people who are going through the back catalogue and and, uh, sending me email responses as they're going through. It's a really lovely little, like a retrospective for me on the podcasts that I've done over the past couple of years. It's really supportive and lovely. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I'm at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I'll be doing a preview of Empire in Brighton on the 23rd at the Blue Man, and I'll be doing a preview of Empire in York on the 30th of July. Uh, somewhere in York for the York Fringe. It's on the internet details. And after that, I'll be doing Empire in Edinburgh for the full month at 10pm at the Gilded Balloon. It's a very big room. It's a late slot. It's 10pm, so that's later than I've ever done. Um, Please come along or send friends. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you to everybody who started listening uh, after hearing me on The Bugle. That's a real vote of confidence. This is not a satirical news podcast. This is a podcast where I talk about difficult ideas with people, deliberately um, looking for things that people don't have very strong opinions on or that they're wrestling with or they have strong opinions on that may not necessarily be popular. I feel like we have a little bit too much in the world of people being very definite on television, two people coming on and having an, a discussion that isn't really a discussion. It's just person A says A, person B says B. Both reiterate their original points. You never hear anyone change their mind or stop to consider things. And that's kind of the thing that I want to do with this podcast. That's to update anybody who is a new listener. Thank you for coming on board. That said, I will stop uh, rambling on and let you get on with listening to this conversation with Brendan Burns and Craig Quatermain, two excellent men uh, who I really enjoyed talking to in a tea shop in Camden. You're having tea with Alice. Yeah, for the... What the fuck? For, for the true brew. 15. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's got to be very good tea. Fucking Camden, man. <laughs> and I'm Brendan Burns, the other half of the race-off, and I didn't go for tea. I brought my own drink, and I'm pretty glad about that right now. 15 No, no, I didn't pay for it. Like, you, you get high. basic brew. You don't have to get true brew. 15 pounds for a pot of tea. <laughs> Dirty cunts. <laughs> Sorry, I did say that knowing that it would trigger him. That's all. Yeah. Craig. It's very much, a lot of people don't realise where Aboriginal people get their last names from, mm. is when uh, wealthy white landowners, back then they were just called white fathers, but when they would purchase a patch of land, any Aboriginal people on that land would get his last name as a form of registration. And so there are these people that believe that, no, we're direct descendants of such and such. And like, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're his cattle. 
um, gonna have to deal with it. So yeah, that's where why I, why I have a British last name. That's why whenever you meet like an African American dude and he goes, "Hi, I'm Blank Jones or Johnson," and you're like, uh-huh. sorry about that." So are these the cats? and it's funny that like the, the, the you bring that up in the states and the sheer volume of people that don't understand what that means. Mm. But again, it's like yeah, you can quarter mate. That's a rare name. Uh, not so much for, for people. I just haven't heard it much, but for people who uh, talk about race a lot, the Americans don't really like talking about race very much. It depends who's doing the talking. They like talking about it sort of in very fixed terms, but not in any kind of nuance or subtlety or anything like that. But at least they are able to talk about it in a stand-up form, form that is widely popular and very acceptable. Another case for home. What do you find? Do you find if you talk about race at home, people get very uncomfortable or...? Um, kind of. I think some people are too comfortable. In a way, but at the same time, like, I'm a, I'm a hypocrite because if people became more enlightened and comfortable, my shit wouldn't work. <laughs> so, I don't, you know. But having said that, like, we were just talking about this uh, at the last interview is that Americans come to Australia and they find Australians' demeanor very jarring. And, it's, and people are like, why is Australia like that and then you realise like it's because we're the bottom of the rung of white people like we're the punchline and so when you're kind of the punchline internationally everywhere like you told you the bottom rung then I think when other ethnicities come to Australia and there's less of a sense of hierarchy it's a bit jarring when you're surrounded by white people that aren't automatically told via a crazy white lady being on your money that was thinks she was appointed by God. He's but, talking about the Queen. Yeah, I'm talking about the Queen. Uh, the, 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 that, that applies to England more, well, completely, obviously, or in America where everyone is given a blank American label, so Afro-American, which implies that all black people come from Africa, which is not right. Or Asian American, and it's like, wow, that's a pretty broad, broad spectrum. Yes. And and the weird thing is, it's almost instilled in them that USA we're number one, we're number one every day of their fucking life. That if you actually start to ask someone about their heritage or ethnicity, they go, I'm American. What's your problem? And you're like, well, first of all, yeah, but America has sold you an idea. But Australians very much do that. What? Very much do that. Australians very much do that. There's, they, you think they have a sense of hierarchy in Australia? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, dude. There's absolutely. You ask a white Australian, "What's where are you from?" They'll say, "I'm Australian." Oh yeah, but I am a dual citizen, and I get to go to England on, on my school holidays and shit like that. That that's completely. There they, is an interesting yeah. thing that happens when I come here, which is that as you because you've been in the UK for ages, right? Yeah, yeah. That that Australians are as you say, sort of the bottom rung of yeah. the hierarchy here, which is fantastic for me, because in Australia, when I do stand-up, I have to be kind of apologetic, low status to begin with, because my accent in Australia reads as posh, right? Yeah. Overeducated, prissy. I have to be like, oh, don't think that I think that I'm better than you. Whereas here... No, nah, you're scum. I'm, I'm just blank. I'm a you're blank. scum. No, you're scum. Yeah, there's no class. How are you two, how are you two coping accent? with that? <laughs> no, no, let's talk about this. How about I mean, it's <laughs> fantastic for me. It's real. I mean, it's Really good you don't want to let it go, do you? It, no, in a way, because it does help your act. It helps my act amazingly. I mean, it just means that I don't. I can start higher status. I can be more challenging. I can. I can deal with more complicated ideas without people thinking that I'm trying to show off or 
But at the same time, I've spoken to other acts here, uh, and other female Aussie acts as well, and they said, but there's definitely a pressure to soften your accent a bit and make it a bit more English in order to be accepted or understood or be given the credit of comprehending your own work. But would that depend on the act? Well, I've got a massive chip on my shoulder, so I refuse to play that game. <laughs> well, I think I already do have that. Like, my accent, and my Australian accent is already comparatively soft as far as it goes. Yeah. Like I already do. To Australians, I sound a bit British or prissy or, you know, precise. So it's, it's okay for me. It yeah. gets a huge laugh here when I say, because I'm considered rough and guttural and rough and ready, etc. And I'm like... Go to where I'm from, I'm considered posh where I'm from. And he's always giving me shit about being posh, and I'm like, I can't fucking win. It's all about perspective. And Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, you're about to find out that, no, you and I are on a par, we're just two Aussies. And we just did an interview with uh, Dominic at the Times. And he goes, well, I don't understand this dynamic, because to me, you're just two Aussies. Nice. And I was like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, not, not, uh, not at home. How does that make you feel, Craig? I don't, yeah, I might feel all cuddly, but I don't accept, I've told him that I, my answer to that was I don't feel like the same sort of Australian at all. Yeah. Not even slightly. No, we're not. It's worlds apart. Yeah. The fact that we've grown up in the same place, Kananara and Perth, Brendan was there in Kananara and in Perth throughout our life. There's two towns in Western Australia, and there is no way we'd have crossed paths if it wasn't for comedy. Yeah. Completely different sides of the track. Uh, yeah. Actually, for a lack of a better phrase. It, it is so bizarre working together of exactly same reference points, polar opposite perspective. Oh, that's fantastic. Like, case in point, uh, first time I saw him do stand-up. <laughs> and... Uh, he was talking about Rottnest Island, which is like a holiday island off the coast of Perth, Western Australia. And uh, to Craig, Robert, uh, you know, it's Rottnest. I didn't know this, by the way. To me, it's where you went after you graduated high school to try and see if you could get your hand down a girl's pants. Right? And, 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 and also, only now in hindsight, do I remember rolling around on the ground and there was a skull and jawbones everywhere and it wasn't until I saw Craig set where I, I reenacted the uh, the transition of Rottnest Island from a prison camp into a holiday resort yeah, because, because for his, from his perspective it's something between Robben Island in South Africa and the killing fields in Cambodia and I used to go and get fingered there <laughs> you used to get fingered there? I used to do some fingers that's where I went fingering and and when he's telling this story and the whole room is uh, horrified and I am just pissing myself laughing at the grimness because in terms of also you know like for comedy sometimes you need a vantage point yes and he basically did a joke that I had the perfect vantage point for which was, you think this is one thing. Yes. It was actually this, and you'd never known it was this. And I think maybe the rest of the room wasn't willing to accept their vantage point. Because then to admit, to accept their vantage point or to laugh at it from that vantage point would be an admission of guilt. Yeah. Well, without doing the bit, is that Brendan laughs, Brendan laughed at the premise and the setup. 
and there's this little tag that I have at the end of that story to give everyone that release to give them that laugh yeah but yeah Brennan started laughing before the release and that's why I, I remember hearing his laugh I was like ah, he knows what I'm doing here yeah and um, yeah so that was uh, I have a, a joke in my current in my current show at the moment where I'm kind of looking at that and I was talking about the way that we as white Australians treat our indigenous people and I the way that I the analogy that I use is have you ever fucked someone over so badly you can never look at them again <laughs> yes. yeah. and it makes people so incredibly uncomfortable the only people who ever laugh at it are comedians and I have a whole sort of follow on bit about how a lady really didn't like the joke and I kind of take it to pieces and do a little bit of a reenactment of the British colonisation I've always liked this seems to be gone oh no I always like the one of it's um, you ever have termites in a house no no think about it if you get termites in a house the outside you can't you don't know the termites are there until it's been hollowed out the facade looks fine everything looks fine but uh, white Australia is essentially uh, a termite who's moved into a house and then decides who can and can't come into the house yeah Nice. It's probably my, my favorite. <laughs> so, yeah, the exterior is the same. It looks great. It's amazing. Um, that, the termite clearly doesn't own the place, but they've decided that they can say who can come, come in. I mean, the house I grew up in, that was literally the case because our front room, the floor of the front room was so badly termite ridden that you couldn't walk across it. So we needed to have a plank across the floor really? for people to get in, <laughs> which meant at night you could just pull back the plank and whoever tried to break into the house would fall through the floor. Nice. It was a security measure. <laughs> Sydney? Uh, Sydney, yeah. Okay. We lived in a very falling down house uh, that was owned by my granny, who was a very bad landlady, but would let people live in it for basically no rent. So she was a bad landlady from both sides of the... I know, I know it's your podcast and you're supposed to be asking the question. I'm just curious, only because I just did a run of gigs in Sydney. How has it changed for you to the point, like, have you noticed a shift in the Sydney comedy scene? Like, the, I guess in the Australian comedy scene, but the... Uh, Sydney comedy scene. I've just noticed that. In terms of what? what well, that's the thing. Shit? I couldn't even. I couldn't even pick up what was. What was the Sydney attitude or like? The, there's, there's, you know, there's like a not whether it's a trend or an imprint or. I can tell where a Perth comics come from. Yeah. Definitely can pick a Melbourne comic. Yes. But when I was He's in, in Sydney, the corner on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> not watching but anyone the, else. But last time I, I did a run in Sydney, I, yeah, I enjoy myself, but I can never really put my finger on what is specifically Sydney comedy. Um, there is a sort of, I mean, some trends you notice. There's yeah. a, and I think this is across the board a young, among young white men particularly. There's a kind of a self infantilization. So they'll call themselves good boys, and they'll sort of, you know, they'll sort of be a bit babyish and a bit cutesy. It's there's a lot like, of romanticising of struggle. Yeah, there's they're like, kind of romanticise. There's a bit of romanticising of their own narrative. Yes, I mean that's always been white men's issue, yeah. romanticising their own narratives. But yes, there is that kind yeah. of like, oh no, I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a boy. That thing is very weird. It's like Marilyn Monroe in the 1950s of like, oh, daddy, it's a little bit like that. But men, <laughs> I think men. it's because these like particularly well-educated young white men are really afraid of like their own masculinity as a toxic thing. So they're not men, which, even though they're 25 or 30. They're boys, you know, boys are... Which I, I'm almost frustrated that we're doing a double act of doing a show called Race Off because I'm pretty sure I could do an hour on the notion of toxic masculinity. It's like, my masculinity is a good thing. You know what? When that fucking guy bashes you on the underground, when a guy punches a woman in the underground, who do you want there? 
Yeah. Me and Craig? Or fucking the bloody Hessian shack wearing feminist? <laughs> like, masculinity steps in. Masculinity is uh, the idea that it's... Like, feminism is a good thing. So is masculinity. Yeah. Well, it is, that, it is, a, it is a thing because it has been sort of yeah. correlated with a lot of bad things. Trolls on the internet fucking bothering women. That's not masculine. That's no. a fucking wuss. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing manly about that. No, there is a. I found it really interesting looking at men's rights activists and their kind of claims. A lot of which have, like, a lot to How do many with. Of them what, are out there? A lot of them. Really? Uh, they can't. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I mean, not many. I think proportionately, but they're very loud. Yeah. Uh, and they they kind of talk about how unfair it is that men get put into dirty, dangerous work, and that men don't order, don't get custody of their children, and women get favoured in family court issues. And you go well. All of those things are things that feminism is fighting for. You know, mm. the qualities yes. of that. Kind. But that's yeah. So take those three things and apply it to everything. Yeah. yeah basically, I mean, I mean is, just as an example, the custody thing. Because just as a journalist, I cover a lot of custody, court reportings, and stuff like that. It shouldn't be. A, that's not a feminist. That's not a. That's not a feminist issue. That's not a masculine issue. Uh, that's a, just give it to the less shitty parent. Yeah. Yes. Well, they, I mean, there's too. Yeah, I don't know. There's too many people want want a team. That they're going to be on. And that is, right. yeah, that yeah. is true. They're, they they want to fight because, uh, and it's interesting that you say there's a lot of young men now that are infantilizing themselves and avoiding their masculinity, etc. And it's because they are confusing feminism with women, no, 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 no with uh, women wanting men to stop being men. Yes. And I've yet to meet a card-carrying feminist that wants that. I've yet to meet a, uh, a car-carrying feminist that wants some sort of wet cunt in there, you know? Yeah, unless you're a radical life. feminist, revolutionary, political lesbianism person, which are very rare, then... And, and, even want... a, and that's just a very loud voice. Yes. And unfortunately, when people, you know, become a group or they pick a team or whatever, the most annoying people go to the forefront. Yep. It's like, you know, how, like, transgender they tend to be people... the ones we end up interviewing. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, exactly. So, you know, when, like, a transgender now has a voice. Yes. And trans people, when Caitlyn Jenner became the poster person, lady, for transgender issues, you can imagine transgender people are going, oh, fuck, this ain't going to end well. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Wait, the fame-hungry one? Is the, 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 how's that going to end up for us, right? Yes, and then and she was all of a sudden a massive taboo. And, and it's she's like, somebody who's taking her kind of models of femininity from the Kardashians. Exactly. Who are not a model of fe- femininity for anyone. I mean, I mean... It's it's it, it, of uh, uh, fame hungry uh, elitism of just like there's everything going in there. So as a transgender person, you're you must. Yeah, just it a, is it, just only because you're touching on this, and uh, just to draw a parallel, I, I, I don't know. I guess everybody gets to that point when they've got less to worry about because I can guarantee you now that the people, the transgender people in the Tiwi Islands aren't looking to get coverage. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just stoked that no one's dragging them out in the car park and beating the shit out of them. Um, yeah. I, yeah they, they, I mean, the vast majority of trans people that I know, which is already a minority just by the numbers, just want to be people, right? They just want to get on with their lives and not be 
Hassled. Represented by a fucking dick. Yeah. And then, so why? My, to I that find point, most, most small groups would. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it would feel like so these young men that are infantilizing themselves because they're listening to the loudest voices of feminism and going, this is what women want. And it's like, no, grow up. Again, you know, just just listen to a regular. It's like you know what it's like. Whenever they um, have the uh, statistics for recovery, yes. Right? Uh, or, from alcoholism, uh, or alcoholism, drugs. you know, or Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever, and they say there's only a five percent success rate. Uh, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're going, you know, that only five percent of the people that go into AA uh, get sober. And I'm like, first of all, that's, that is such bullshit. Is that because they don't come out sober and Christian? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the best examples of that program, you never fucking hear from. Yeah, they just walk out into their lives and I'm and you get people. back, You get a job <laughs> and you get on with your fucking life and you shut the fuck up about it. But the people that, and instead of very intoxicating, easy trap to fall into, and I'm pretty sure that I did in my first year or two or whatever, of... Mm. Uh, it's very tempting to think you're some sort of poster boy for sobriety, which is very much the opposite of what they want anyone to do. So anyone that you see that is speaking on behalf of that program is already not doing what they ask it to. Because yeah. it's like we don't shut the fuck up. Like I'm not even I don't even do it anymore. Yeah. So I guess that's why I'm talking about it, and I don't have a problem with with it. But this five percent thing, like you first don't of think all, that's that, accurate. There's no way you'd be able to tell. It's yeah. anonymous. Yeah. You can't get 5%. And not only that, I bet that stat is built on every person that walks into one meeting. Yeah. And then, like, that's not, you know, that's, then you've got to do the program. You got to, I'd like to hear a stat on actually who finishes it, the program. And, and also, that means, uh, like, going in once and staying sober forever. Right, so if, if someone relapses or anything, then that discounts them from that statistic. That's why it's such bullshit. But I'm just saying the best examples you never fucking hear from. Yeah. You just looked like you had a moment of epiphany, Craig. Um, oh, I know. I was just when we were talking about people defending and stepping in. We got asked uh, just previously because we used the phrase in our show uh, what a white knight is. I was actually quite curious because of, we, uh, just in between us, it has different meanings. I was curious what you use that phrase for. Oh, that's interesting. I'm, I'm see my face. That's why I pulled the oh, face. Oh right, yeah. Uh, white knighting. I, I mean, it's it's used derogatorily on the internet for somebody who sort of comes in and claims to be rescuing oppressed people as a way of kind of burnishing their own. It's funny because we just have to spend an hour explaining it to someone. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, but this is the other thing. If you really need it, it's very nice. And whether somebody's doing it sort of to prop up their own ego or not, if you're in a real spot of bother and somebody steps in on your behalf, I don't care if they do a Facebook post about it and get likes. I don't like... <laughs> I mean, I, I talk about the, a, a thing... Again, I'm just talking about my show because that's what's happening in my brain at the moment. But when I, uh, I had a guy... Intro- I brought my dad out to a comedy night... Um, and the, the MC introduced me to the stage in a really, really, really brutally sexist way, in the way that they sometimes do. That he just had a little brain fart. I told him my dad was coming. It was the first time my dad had come out since my mum had died, and I was like, just. And oh, so, I was there. Uh, and, and he was like, "Welcome to the stage, Alice Fraser. She's been around the comedy scene for a couple of years, by which I mean she's been fucking all the dudes." And I just thought, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna deal with this. And I did my set, and then my dad went up onto the stage 
and asked him to apologise to me publicly. And it was this weird feeling of... I was very embarrassed, of course, because you know, I didn't need someone to step in for me and I didn't want to make a big fuss about it, but it was also a really nice feeling. I wouldn't call that white knighting. No, that's your that's dad. Your, that's your dad. That's your dad. Fucking breaking shit. Yeah, that's absolutely. not white knighting, that's your dad. Yeah. Absolutely. But it was that thing. And of, that's his job. Yeah. But it, it's funny nowadays how that kind of sort of propriety and, and proper behaviour and the idea of politeness mm. or manners or, you know, form has become so... Had a guy got out of... Had a young guy got up on stage, pushed that MC out of the way, said, "Hey, don't you dare talk about Alice yeah, before yeah. you even That might have been white knighting. Well, yeah, because then he'd be trying to root you. Well, yeah, because he heard good things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but your dad getting up—that's gangster, man. That's it, it that, so that is Atticus Finch shit. That, that is that is brilliant. pretty cool. But that's the thing, like Atticus Finch, and and that's one of the reasons why I talk about it in my show is because we don't have those kind of models of good men anymore all of the heroes are these kind of anti-heroes rough around the edges struggling I, I, with I only dropped his name just a second ago but I did watch To Kill a Mockingbird uh, just before I flew out to come here and um, I remember I'd watched that at 13 years old yeah Atticus Finch was yeah probably the best role model for a father I could ever remember I'd be, I'm very close to my dad and he's definitely got his flaws yeah but um yeah there was there was that gauge at least I had that I guess the reference but um yeah, yeah it's that thing now I think I, I don't know this is my theory on it correct me if I'm wrong I think that like the whole fear of empire and colonialism and the white sort of oppression of the world has meant that all of those... Well, first of all, don't give ourselves that much fucking credit. Yeah, no, but I mean, this is the, this is the rhetoric, right? That, yeah. that we have this very toxic culture. There is something quite shitty about, like, a middle-class fucking basket weaver in Suffolk <laughs> thinking... Oh, my God, sorry, we're doing an interview here. <laughs> uh, I've got to watch my language in front of the little one. And... Uh, there's some uh, middle class basket weaver in. So is that going to pick up? Should we go somewhere? No, it's alright. It should be fine. Uh, that thinks jokes about Beyonce is punching down. Yeah. And you're like, you get Beyonce's coffee. Yeah. How? What world do you live in? I guess, I guess with that one, it qualifies because Beyonce is not Beyonce. Beyonce is a black woman first. That's right. That's why it would feel like punching down, regardless of which is achieved. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying is don't give yourself the credit that your Beyonce's oppressor. That is so vain. That is so... Well, it is that, that is buying into the idea of white supremacy. That is, uh, that is... That is... That uh, is... Like... It, it, it's... Okay, it's not the platform of it. It's not the thing that it's based on, but it's pretty good scaffolding. Yeah, I think there's... This is this thing of kind of the Western you know, imperial stuff came associated with all of the, like, facts and science and logic and rationality above all, rationality above personality. And all of that is now mistrusted because it was used as part of the arsenal of the oppressor, you know, in whatever schools, doing tests on people to make, to prove that they were less good and all of that stuff. Because that was misused, now people mistrust facts. Only because you uh, mentioned... 
what was taught in school. Sorry, just to change. Um, and we were discussing it before. I found out the origins of the whole uh, uh, monkey being used as an insult in Australia. Oh. So my mum and uh, all my all her siblings. Uh, Your mum is the origin. Yeah, she's the one. <laughs> um, she's she's really chimpy looking. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a bit about monkey face that I'm going to anyway. Um, they were taught by the nuns in the missions and the, when the nuns were coming to teach class. They were taught that um, in a weird sort of anti-Catholic evolutionary mixture of bullshit um, that Aboriginal people evolved from apes and that uh, white people didn't. So, but I, here's they, the weird thing because when all that when all that went down, my mum remembers she just leant forward. Said, that's what they used to teach us in year one and two. But that's what's really confusing to me is we're the ones that look chimpy. We all do, man. I mean, no. we're all descended from apes. We all do. Don't even you can't take that with your pointy features. Come on, mate. No, mate. I'm saying I go to the continent. <laughs> no, we look at monkeys. Look at we're arguing. Okay, right look, I'm saying that. Uh, Are you honestly competing over who looks more like a monkey? I, he really I'm is. Saying, he really I, is. I'm is saying Mon- Mongolian people look more like spider monkeys. <laughs> I'm saying that we look more like chimps, uh-huh. and I would oh hazard God. the jet black, like Maasai, like <laughs> dark, jet black, dark black people look like gorillas. All right. And I think you know Native Americans. I think I think you go back a couple of hundred years, we all look apey. We all look very chimpy. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. As a believer in evolution, I wouldn't disagree that we all look a bit chimpy, but yeah. I. I don't know that... But you go to different continents and you look at, like, the monkeys and chimps and all, all great apes that they have, and the people around there, pretty close. <laughs> go to the Amazon, mate. You know those the remote tribes in the Amazon? And just, you know what? Go and say hello, then look up. <laughs> all right, I mean... It's like, you'll be like, there are mirrors here. <laughs> Like the this glee in your face as you're propounding this thing. That I'm this is what happens. So happy. This is what happens when you take swearing off him. Yeah, exactly. I am proposing that all of humanity looks a bit chimpy. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. I would probably take issue with the kind of specific. Chimps. And I just don't see why black people get to be greedy about it. <laughs> well, it's I mean, like the chicken thing. Who doesn't love chicken? I, I, I quite like the uh, the Neanderthal fact. Right? That's surprising. <laughs> That people of the African continent are the only ones who don't have Neanderthal blood in. So arguably, they are the only pure humans. Interesting. Is it true? Yeah. I've always argued. It's a weird, weird phrase. There's only a couple. (laughs) There's there's like a few people on the planet that are kind of responsible. Like you can just looking at them, you can tell. Like, oh, you're the reason we're not cat people. Like, you're the reason that cats aren't evolving into some sort of sentient being because you fight tigers. Oh, or you fight lions. I so see you, what you So mean. you look at, like, Maasai people, Indigenous Australians for sure, because they worked out I, how to survive. I, I actually went and interviewed some people in, near Laverton, which is in the middle of the Western Desert in WA. And there are people that just come in from, and people want to talk about remote, that there is literally nothing in the middle of the western desert in Australia. These people come into Laverton, which is the closest town and they're loot. Uh, I'm not even Jujinjara people, I think, is what their tribe is. And talk about ancient man. Like, the, the forehead, the nose, they've got the bone, they've got these dreadlocks and just... 
Yeah, I remember just sitting there going, wow, that's like, that's... Like, your fashions have not changed for a long time. Yeah, it was amazing. Like the, the, the only phrase that came into my head was, yeah, ancient, that's just... I'm just, when, okay. we, when we mess this up and it all falls apart, you're still going to be here. Like the, I mean, I, I love how some cultural fashions get stuck, like Orthodox Jews, where you have like yeah. 18th century Russian fashion. You just decided that was what you were going to wear. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the people who don't want to, who just have a Nokia 2110 and they're just never going to, they're like, no, this is it, this is all I need. I never need to move on from we, the felt hat and the long overcoat. And how would it evolve though? Well, I mean. I'm curious. Yeah. Everything evolves, right? Most fashions evolve. I look think at, you know, if Eastern I didn't get married, Jewish people. I would have picked a decade and stuck to it. Yeah. I think back, I would have, like, I think we all have a relative that picks a decade where, you know, because everyone has a big decade when they're sexy. Yeah. If mine was the 90s, uh, if I didn't have a, a, a wife dressing me, it's fair to say that I'd probably still so you understand be wearing that 90s gear. Yeah, I understand pick a decade. <laughs> so if I can understand pick a decade... I'm probably still waiting for mine. I, I want to go for the George Clooney older man. You, you think your pick decade is yet to hit you? I'm hoping it hasn't. <laughs> if it has, I've, I've wasted it. That's my point. Uh, I reckon I'm going to be great in my 50s. You're going to be a hot 50 year old? hot old lady. That's my, that's nice. my goal. That's nice. my plan, is to be attractive in my, in my later years. Yeah, nice. I think, no, 40, 50, you'll hit your stride. Yeah. You do have a face that's going to be a good 40, 50. I've got bone structure. I've got personality. I'll leave all the other ladies in the dust. Who? There's a guy. Oh, what's his name? Perth comic. Used to work with John Conway. Wears both shoes and pulls it off. Ben something did the Tokyo Diner show. Oh, Ben Russell. Ben Russell. Oh, well, main... now, that's why I didn't because I think if it was a Melbourne comic. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Russell, amazing forty-year-old. Oh <laughs> that yes, dude is going to be full head of hair. Yep. Well, the funny thing is, my in my family, the um, the Quartermains, my dad's side, they age amazingly. Yeah. My mum's family doesn't. They're like born with diabetes. Those poor freaks. And um, so I'm a combination of the two. Chuck in statistically. Um, well, yeah, I better enjoy that last decade if I do make the fifties and just yeah. Really You're gonna get to the decade of sources. Who else is? Well, statistically, right, it's the Indigenous Australians and the Scottish who. Scottish? Die in their 50s. Yeah, Scottish have... Oh, the, yeah. 59 to 62 is the, uh, is the window. They deep fry everything. The Scottish, I didn't know that. Yeah, Scottish, Scottish. have the lowest, uh, highest, well, whatever, lowest Heart mortality, disease. age of mortality, average age of mortality of any uh, Western... Yeah, try to kill them in a bar fight. Can't be done. They'll just, yeah, they'll just... They just yeah. bounce Drop back. off the vine themselves when they get the chance. And they wander around with no underpants on in freezing cold. That'll do it. <laughs> is that... That is a thing, isn't it? They do actually not you know, wear it. Maybe that's why they're dying off now, is because they're not wearing underpants-free kilts as much. So they're just, you know, maybe yeah. that was their, maybe that was their <laughs> and refrigeration mechanism for their ge- genetics. And they don't seem to get a shrinkage in the cold. Every Scottish bloke I've ever known or, has worn a kilt and or, they're flashing out. Or it's just huge to begin with. Yeah, they're just on the floor. <laughs> they've got really big penis. Nobody is more interested in other men's penises than men. Don't know about that. I, do, I mean, I just I don't know that I've ever. That's true. Well, how much competition you is there out there? Sorry. Well, there's not that much competition out I there. I mean, I occasionally so get. It's either you guys or us. Unsolicited dick pics, and never have I've I gone. Never sent one. Good, good on you. Well done, you. Keep that clean record. Yeah, it's I I I, I don't understand it. 
Uh, I. Where's this go out? Uh, on, <laughs> on the internet. Most no, of my there's no way she'll listen. My mum, the yeah. guy she's dating. Wait, 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 wait. The monkey thing was fun. <laughs> the dig thing. Oh no, there's a big controversial. <laughs> I stand by the monkey thing. That all of humanity, and I don't think. I think the idea that I must have been when I first came to England, I didn't know that it was a racial slur. I thought it was like Muppet. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I found out very quickly because it was it was the nineties. And uh, I was on MTV at the time, and like any young man in his 20s, when he's on telly, he just thinks he's famous. Yep. Uh, you're off the hook now too, by the way. Yeah. And so these... Should you explain that? Oh, yeah. There was a lady who came over and didn't like Brendan Burns swearing loudly in a tea shop because she had a small child there. Yeah. Which, fair enough. Yeah, I didn't she... realise I was swearing loudly. Yeah, she actually knew who, she, who he was too and still told me this story. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm on the street and I've got my bright red punky hair, right? And again, this is the uh, early days of living here, and I had no idea what it meant because I thought it was like Muppet slang toilet. Yeah. So uh, these three black, uh, three big black dudes pull up in a in a white van, and they screech to a halt, and they go, "This guy, this guy, no, this guy." And I think, yeah, they recognised me. <laughs> right? Yeah, Brendan Burns, MTV Hot. You might know me from. And uh, so I'm getting ready to like sign whatever, right? And then they go. And he goes, hey, mate, you want to buy some speakers? <laughs> right? So I then go, uh, I then go, fuck no. And he goes, why not? And I went, because I'm not a fucking monkey, am I? Right? <laughs> and here I am, skinny, white, punk with red hair. And I mean, these dudes are big. And, and, it, and I just built that out. And the three of them pissed themselves laughing oh. so hard because they were like, the front on this guy. <laughs> if you had a gauge throughout your life, how many times should you have had your ass kicked and you never did? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've been punched on the stage a lot more than most. <laughs> and not always for the right reason. Um... But actually, I think in that situation, I mean, yeah, that went great. Yeah. But also, I think somehow instinctively, maybe they must have just known that I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was a very broad, it was a very, you know, I was just arrived, so I've still got that broad Aussie accent. It was the inflection at the end. I'm not a monkey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a Or, it's obviously the sheer surprise of that. And yeah. also, you're thinking, this guy's a mark. You know, we're going to rip him off with some speakers. Yeah. And then that comes out. So it's just the polar opposite of what you're expecting. Although, having said that, whenever you're, like, playing Grand Theft Auto uh, on Xbox Live, right? And you're playing with a bunch of black guys and there's, like, some racist southern hick kid. And this has happened. (laughs) Where... Where the, it was me and an, uh, and an English dude and a couple of black guys and this obviously teenager like Alabama I don't know Bible Belt kind of accent kind of kid and the kid is just end <laughs> bombing at them left right and center and me and the English guy start chastising the kid and the two black guys at the other end go shut the fuck up Harry Potter motherfucker right and we're like whoa who's taught this kid this This is just racist this is bang out of order and then there's this silence (laughs) and then the and the little kid 
breaks the silence with and bomb lovers. That's amazing. And the two black guys pissed themselves laughing. And I think it was... <laughs> and I think somewhere in there, there was the... That kid is what you're holding in. I, I, I think there's some <laughs> element of... All right, whatever, Harry Potter. You're secretly yeah. as racist as... But we know what white America is or whatever, so, like, he's what you're holding in. We yeah. hear this every day we're playing. Don't try and sell us. I mean, that's white knighting, PC, right? white knight nonsense. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, it was hysterical that they were shitting on us, and I'm also like, I'm Australian, mate. And he's like, well, you sound like Harry Potter. And I went, it's 12,000 miles away. Like, I don't give a fuck or something. And I said, why are you using your ignorance as the basis of your argument? And then he goes, listen to him talking lines he's practiced. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is just my regular... Yeah, he's probably practicing in the mirror and shit, and I'm getting wound up, and then this little kid's got... Um, I mean, I like that you have a fight at your fingertips whenever you want one, Brendan. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I'm all, well, it's harder for me to get punched in the head today. Yeah, true, because you can do it online. Not for lack of trying. Do you? Yeah. No, I mean at 46, 46-year-old white guy with grey hair, I have to do it like a whole series of events to get punched in the head. Do you feel like having Craig around is like having a, a barometer for your own racism? Or for Whoa. the acceptableness of your racism? Do you check things by him? No. <laughs> no, I'd still be like this if he wasn't here. <laughs> yeah? I think yeah. Oh, with writing... Yeah, with writing, with jokes. His scrutiny... We just uh, talked about this. His scrutiny forces me to be... Forces greater clarity. Mm-hmm out of what I'm trying to say. Because I think he knows instinctively where my heart's at and what I am trying to... where I'm going with stuff. Uh, I definitely don't... Like, it's not a case of we check for licence. Like, I'm not enabling yeah. anyone. Fucking, the arguments we have, if you could call that enabling, you'd, yeah, you need, we need to have a chat. Because it's... Um, that's the thing. That's what's made it so difficult and why it works so well is that... We're very much being ourselves, and if anything, I'm just checking for accuracy. If he mm. wants to say it and he can do it, and it's going to work. Yeah, we, that's we true. Actually, is in the writing process those arguments. That's what we end up putting on stage. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't ask except that sort of the topic of your no, show it's... is race, and there's yeah. two of you for a reason, and one of you's black and one of you's white for a reason. No, that's a so, really good question. For a reason. Well, I mean, this is why the show is my about missus, race. This my missus, why... the screenwriter, actually wrote a black character, and uh, someone had to, like, at the channel, <laughs> yeah. went, is there any plot reason that this person is black? And she went, what? Other than black people exist? Like, what happens when... What happens when you meet black people? Do you go, like, it's all well and good, but how does that... How'd this happen? <laughs> I'm making the motion around my face with my hand. Yes. What's, all, what's all this about? Is there that, a reason that you're... Is there a reason? Well, that... well we, I actually ran into you in Edinburgh last year when I was a terrified newbie. And I was just supposed to be doing Free Fringe in uh, 10 minutes with Brennan. And then it's evolved. That's as far as a why or how. It's, that's what this show has evolved from very awkward conversations to, from an opening spot to turn into closing and then it's a split show and fuck knows what's going to become but yeah. that's, and that's in a year it's in 12 months 
I mean, I think it's fantastic. I think one of the hardest things to do is find a good creative partner in this industry, like well, someone who you really click with. And look, hope to find it one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Until then. Until then, this is just marketable. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely like we were just talking about this again as well, so forgive me if it sounds written, is we share a level of conscientiousness. Yeah. And working with someone that, like, you look at the British system of people going on panel shows and you watch them. I can't watch them. Because people aren't listening to each other. They're literally just trying to get their stuff in. That is literally the reason why I've done this podcast is because I never see people changing their minds on TV or radio no. or listening at all. They're just there to deliver their thing and leave. And yeah, it right. feels like every laugh that someone else gets, they feel like it was stolen off them. I'm a big fan of comedy. I like laughing. I like being made to laugh. And that idea and attitude of preferring being the one getting the laugh and also getting annoyed whenever anyone else does is like preferring masturbation to sex. Someone once told me that if you go on a panel show, you shouldn't laugh at other people's jokes because then they'll just cut to you laughing and they won't use your material and it will make you look weak or something. Yeah. And I was like, no, I really oh, like when I see people on television like so enjoying other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just hold so, it in. But I see that and I've been around long enough that I recognise that that's going on and I just can't watch them because I just see selfishness. Some of the biggest laughs that come out of the show and have for the last year have been me ripping on Brendan. <laughs> and, you know, what sort of self-conscious dickhead would put themselves up for that. It's the polar opposite of what you guys are just talking about happens on the panel. Brennan, Brennan suggests it. Said it be, you know, he's totally up for it if I'm able to do it. Yeah. And vice, the fucking hard part, though, is the balancing of um, seeing if people are willing to laugh at me for those sort of same sort of reasons. They'll laugh at me. Yeah, jokes. they really want him to win. But will they laugh at me? Well, that's so this is, well, it's definitely a, a difficult To assuage their white guilt. Uh, yeah, I think so. And also, that, you know, like, people feel I need taking down a notch or two. You know? Um, Which does open it up to a lot of other possibilities too. Yeah. Like, what if I am not likeable? Could I? Can I be? Yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> you can oh, I'm, I'm working on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, and, yeah, so I remember like, when we were going into it, he was like going, I can't, you know, I can't hang with you up there. And I was like, you don't have to. It's a dance. It's not a fight. You know, it's, uh, look at, you know, you've seen the show I do with Cabana, the wrestler. Yeah. You know, Speaking. if I'm being funny up there or whatever, no one's looking, and this is something I have to explain to Cabana too as well, is if I'm getting last for three minutes or whatever and I find something and there's a thread there and I'm running with it, when I'm doing that, no one's looking at you, Colt Cabana, and going, oh, Why he's bombing. Why he? Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no one looks at him. But the thing is... You know, it, it takes a while to accept that when you're not speaking on stage to not feel like you're bombing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so the only way that you can get around that is just, oh, I'm I'm the audience now. Yes, sympathetic joy as well, enjoying their uh, other people's success. Uh, I um, think also, like, to your, uh, your earlier point as well, is that it's something I've always believed, and uh, Jeannie Ashray made the great point as well, is that something can't be racist if you're willing to say it in front of that race. Huh. And I think he trusts and understands now that uh, any material that I will come up with, I usually it's for everyone. It's not about someone. 
mm-hmm. it's more for them. Yes. And I'm guessing that, like, say the ludicrous chimpy thing or whatever, like, oh my god, no one else would say this. No, it's hilarious, and you know that it works, and you've been doing it for a while, so I've got to have some faith in that. Um, but I, yeah, also if there was something I completely disagreed with, I'm not scared to stand up. I'm not a 25 year old kid, but I'm actually. You're a grown up man. Ah, uh, you know, this is my f- second Edinburgh, but I mean, I've been a journalist for seven years and, you know, had to deal with dickheads on mines for a long time. Like, it's been, I can't remember the last time I met a person who actually scared me. And not saying that I'm tough or anything like that. It's just that my upbringing showed me what a genuine scary person is is very different to what's in the comedy scene. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, that's why it's a little bit easier to deal with. Definitely not because I'm tough. I do find that funny sometimes when we talk about, like, some of the scarier rooms in Edinburgh. Yeah. It's like this late-night scary room. It's like it's full of drama students. I'm not worried about being booed off in a room full of people I know I could beat in a fight. (laughs) I think with your, I don't know, this might be a mis, uh, misunderstanding from on my part of your comedy. When you push the line and you push the audience into discomfort, you bring them back with a joke. But, like, when you mentioned wrestling, for me, that clicked in of when you're pushing that, that line, you're playing the heel. Yes. And then you bring them back. That's why they make a great... That's why the, the, the wrestling fans make a great comedy audience, because they instinctively know when you're working heel. Yes. Which is a very strange thing as well is like, say for instance, okay, say like me saying that everyone looks like chimps and there's people from that continent, etc. If I was saying that to a room full of black people, of course they'd be pissing themselves laughing because yeah. I'm there. Yeah. There's no way uh, that, I mean, part of me thinks it, there's a grain of truth there, but I'm selling a ludicrous idea. Yeah. But... I'm not saying it behind closed doors. I'm not doing it behind anyone's back. And there's some sort of trust going on there, I think, that happens. Like It just, it just seems to happen well, you're also with this demeanour in front of other ethnicities. Is I definitely... It, I, I think... Somebody, they don't think I'm holding anything in. Somebody yeah. yelling it on a stage with a microphone is very different to someone who is in the, the, the kitchen at work with yeah. four other women and doesn't realise that being as light-skinned as I am, I hear, I know exactly what people really think. Well, I mean, it's also funny because you're drawing attention to a hypocrisy, which is that as a society we agree that we're all descended from apes. But once you get into the specifics, people are like, oh, no. <laughs> but again, I, yeah, I would like, look at Lincoln. <laughs> look at Darwin. I mean, yes. I mean... You know, no wonder he came up with it. Look at him. Just discussing how people couldn't be trusted with that insult, though. The ape, the monkey, and everything like that. Me and my cousins used to call each other monkey face. It was cute. Can't do it anymore. Can't trust other people with the dirt. Yeah, because yeah. then it could turn into it. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that... It's, it's, it's one of those racisms that doesn't even make sense to me. Well, because yeah. I'm like... Oh. I didn't realise that it was a racist term, I think, until I was in my teens. Because my I, I, twin brother as a kid used to pick things up with his feet and we used to climb trees all the time and we got called monkeys all the time. So 
mean, that's some people just took liberties. With some it. people just decided. But Australia didn't used to do that. No, it it's is, borrowed from England. I'm, I mean, this sure. is the thing. As Australians, we do tend to borrow our insults from overseas. Like, there's no real reason why the N word should be as offensive in Australia as it is in America. I would argue it's not. Yeah. Yeah. No, we got our own special one. Yeah, we do have our <laughs> own particular ones. And which to the. Um, the word, if everyone's curious, is called bull. And um, I actually had to explain to an American uh, comedian from Brooklyn, uh, Seton Smith. Now, this is a, a black comic from the States. And we were just talking about racial slurs. And when I told him the origin of boom, it's the sound you make when you hit us with your car. For him to actually go, this is a black American. go, oh, that's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? Cool, man. I'm impressed that you're impressed. It was like, yeah. It was, I used to remember. It was, an, it was an amazing moment. Whenever there was a new community that came in, for instance, the Vietnamese, I used to do, mm. uh, there was a joke that actually, I think it's made it way back in, of when Amer- Asian Americans got offended by the word oriental. Mm. And I was like, what? Yeah. That's, that's slur. Now I was like, go to my country. People will insult you with a sound effect and a face. <laughs> like, I remember there was slur. The, the ugliest slur I've ever heard, actually, was in Perth, our hometown. Mm-hmm. And that was for Vietnamese people. And that was, it went from smack to sput to sp. Uh, and for me, sp is without a doubt. That's interesting. That's I'd, hideous. That is showing the age gap because it got pretty... They got refined by the time I was living in Girawain, all the Vietnamese kids. Yeah. yeah. What was it by the time you were there? Uh, Chogue. Yeah, you know. Oh. Yeah. That yeah, was no, it. that was around. But okay. that got shorted. Shortened. Shortened? Yeah. But people would find a way of doing it. Of, and... Uh, of, yeah, guys would make that droplet noise Ugh. when a kid walked in the room. And I think that's the difference as well, is if you're doing comedy mm. for, an, you know, for an ethnicity, not a, you're not doing it when they've just you're left the room. You're not doing it at them. You're not doing it when they left the room. Mm. Mm. And there's something, I think, that people find refreshing and there's a lot of catharsis and release in the laughs of that. However... However, what I'm talking about is genuine observations as opposed to made-up white stereotypes. Yes. Which definitely turns people off. And yes, I have made that mistake. <laughs> yeah, I saw... sometimes a, I didn't even know what they were. I saw a guy at a storytelling night do an incredibly good story uh, about a bunch of uh, Asian high rollers who'd come to his pub and just had a complete blowout of like doing drinking games with you know a thousand dollars for the winner and five hundred dollars for the loser this ridiculous night and he told this story with great panache it was one of the funniest stories of the night but one of the judging teams included a lady who does a podcast about race and so he got the lowest score of the night from that team and I thought that was interesting because he wasn't making up a stereotype this was a thing that had happened to him he wasn't doing an accent he was saying what the guy had said Mm. I always find that interesting because I don't know what your responsibility is to like can I ask the people of the podcast were they white? 
Uh, no, the lady who did, does the podcast was, uh, I think, of Chinese extraction. Um, but the Australian. Yeah. But at the same time, there are people that are just burnt and they won't tolerate any mocking whatsoever, even yeah, if it's not mocking. See, I'm interested in that, where because I, I don't know what the line is. Obviously, if there is a negative stereotype, you don't want to just tell the stories that further that stereotype, even if they are true. Oh. But in this instance, it was a ridiculous enough occurrence that it was worth telling a story about because it was this wild night. Well, just just as an example for, for our show, the difficult part is getting Aboriginal people to come to stand-up. Yeah. Because for so many years, we were the punchline. There wasn't... You could imitate us, you could put on an accent, and that was all you needed for the joke. And so that still affects a lot of us now. And we won't go to a stand-up show comfortably. Mm. Um, I dare say it's very similar for all those other people. Even if the joke is great, even if it's in context, even if it's correctly carried off and it's an amazing joke, that person stopped listening the minute you attempted to start being them. Yeah. Because there's just not enough... Um, there's not enough give or take. I've seen that sometimes where, like, I've walked off... Like, I've walked off stage afterwards mm. or and I have that whole bit about Asian Australians being my favourite blender cultures and there was an Asian girl that walked in late, just presumed what I was saying and yeah. then just went, you're bang out of order. Yeah. And she had, like, a very broad Aussie accent and there's something Walls that happens up. in... Western society as well is that people are sold an idea that their culture is less than and so sometimes when again when you like talk about heritage to an Asian American and they go I'm American and I've been here 40 years and and you go like what's wrong with being Asian and it's because you sold this idea of America fuck yeah every day that actually in a way breeds xenophobia and sometimes if you talk about uh, yeah, you resent you resent what you are because you need to appease everything else. Uh, like, sounds very familiar. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's 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 in a way super xenophobic, and again, it's a subtle byproduct of the straight white paradigm that our media feeds everything through. Yes, I the mean, that it, it normalizes whiteness. It normalizes Western. It's Western is normal. Everything else is. Weird and different and exotic. But you have on Thursday night because it's payday. Yeah, which is super strange. Yeah. Because really, if you want to play the numbers game, <laughs> yeah, well, this is it ain't number one with feminism as well because you have w- women are a mi- majority. We're not a minority. Yeah. And yet, we feel marginalised in our own culture, and that cannot happen unless there are also women doing it. Yes. So unless women are also playing into this little game. And I, I noticed this when um, the one of these recent terror attacks in London happened, the, the London Bridge attack, and somebody posted, uh, well, all terrorists are men, which is not true. No. It's not true. I know many, you know, I've spent some time in the Middle East, I know many women who were immensely pro-violent action some of them were on the front lines but definitely huge numbers in support roles you cannot like it just doesn't work like that and, and in the same way you can't pretend that women are not complicit in oppressing ourselves like, it's, it's just not very how it works. strange that a lot of the people after those attacks were talking about offended by the term Islamic terror and then in the same breath saying it's toxic masculinity 
and you're like going, well, how about both terms fuck off? Yeah. Right, because first of all, what's your, what's your problem with uh, the term Islamic terror? Well, it brandishes an entire group of people upon the actions of a few. And guess what? You just did a broader brush. Yeah. You just got a bigger brush. That's all you did. And you went way wider with it. Yeah, but these, yeah, this idea that these that cultural norms are not, you know, propped up by the people who are also the victims of them is stupid. Yeah. And it leads to a kind of feminism that just blames men. I, I guess there's still levels to it, though, is that, yeah, that for a lot of people that join, say, say women that join into that mindset, it's kind of a, it's an equaliser in some way, in a depressing way. Sometimes it's a way for them to feel empowered. To yeah. go that shitty route. But any any woman that thinks that female stereotypes and, and so on and the oppression of women is perpetuated only by men oh, yeah. need only go onto a mummy forum <laughs> to find out that women are just as good, if not better, oh, at not. subtle oh, and not so subtle social oh, pressures. Little little things like um, catching up with friends. So my, my wife and I... <laughs> Uh, we have a really unusual relationship compared to everybody else. You know, like um, I'm meeting up with school friends, seeing them, and they've got the two kids, and they're married. The husband makes the money. My wife's the breadwinner. Um, I'm a VJ for a minority channel and struggling to be a comedian. Yeah, I'm not exactly raking it in. And uh, she's smashing it, doing her own thing. And when we catch up with these people, they're all real small things. Like they'll tell me, "I'll buy your wife something nice." I'm like, she doesn't. Need me to do like the little things. You're about being complicit. I do get it. Like, when are you two gonna have kids? I'm so like, yeah. All these little questions and kind of like. Oh, I mean, my wife about to have a long conversation of when the finance thing switched. She's more successful than me now. Mm. We're just and the mentality. Of, she yeah. had a problem with that. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it was something that she had to adapt to. <laughs> Mine didn't. Just straight into it. Yes, yeah, funny. <laughs> just slipped straight into it. Because well, I was also like, yeah, okay, let's uh, let's let's break out the spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> it's only been a couple of years, <laughs> and um, it was funny. Like as a test, and just as, as a joke, I did ask her to explain mansplaining to me, and I shit you not. After 20 minutes of me going, I've got it, I've got it, I've understood, I've understood. And the penny still hadn't dropped. Oh, mansplaining. You know, we have a word for that, and it includes the masculine denominator. It's called patronising. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very strange that the actual, by definition of itself, is, is incredibly condescending. Oh, yeah. And also, because it was very funny as well, because then... My missus goes, no, but you don't understand. It's like at work and people presume that they understand your particular area of expertise better than you do. And then I went, Welcome to being a comedian. And I was like, yeah. I was like, sweetie, name one Edinburgh where you haven't picked apart my poster design. <laughs> name, <laughs> name, name one joke that I've run by you that you haven't frowned at. And she was like, oh, yeah, I don't really ever. I think any... <laughs> Anyone that uses the term mansplaining has never tried to put together a piece of IKEA flat pack furniture with their messes in the background. <laughs> I just you... helped my brother put his bike together. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. My, my wife and I can't move furniture together. She's a project manager oh. and is used to ordering much dumber men around all day on sites. Comes home and I'll, I'll do that thing where I'll just hold. Whatever the object is, I'll just hold it until she stops talking. 
and then just do what I was going to do. Because it's it, yeah, it's one of those things that we both do with but too hard headed that we can't even move furniture together. Oh, but the thing good is, good to know your limits. Yeah, but I thoroughly accept that my missus is the boss at home. Of otherwise, our, you know, our lives and place would be a disaster. Sure, it's definitely left up a balance, to my though. impulsive. Yeah. No, there's definitely a balance. I mean, I functioned as a as a grown man for 26 years before I met her. That's true. Me too. Yeah. But um. I've like, yeah. Well, you. Uh, <laughs> no, I was the fun- I was the high functioning one when I met her. She was actually a bit of a mess. Yeah. Right. No. No. I do know this. I do know this. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want someone who's going to help fix you, but when you do find someone who does, it's very nice. To fix you. <laughs> help fix, yeah. You, you can help fix each other. It's a beautiful thing. No, that didn't happen. No? No, it was like, I, I'm not the solution to your problems. We need to break up. And so we did. And then she went and got sorted. And then she, then you got back together? Yeah. That's beautiful. So yeah. it's been great ever since. That's interesting because I've always had a uh, never go back, you broke up for a reason sort of attitude. I've never went back to, to an ex. Uh, yeah, I'm a comic. I'm codependent as fuck. <laughs> I completely get it. And I know plenty of people that have broken up and gotten back together. But yeah, I was always very much a case of it. But yeah, I suppose I learned the hard way that the fear of not being in a relationship is the worst foundation for a relationship. <laughs> uh, that doesn't apply to the one I'm in now. Clearly. Uh, no, now I my own. What about you, Alice? You ever dated an ex, going back to an ex? I uh, am just bad at breaking up with people. I'm just terrible at it. So I guess. you've just got like 16 partners back home. <laughs> just that is a joke that I do. No. Uh, no, it's a, it is, because I feel like it's such a waste of a person that you like. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's great. <laughs> You kind of, you know, you have to break it if it's not working, but then you lose this incredible thing. I, I don't know. I'm oh, that's right. Probably going to cut that out. Um, <laughs> where, please don't. Please, please don't cut that out. Where can people it's find you online? It's a waste of a person that you like. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, or do you feel like there's an element of I've put a lot of yards into this sunk cost fallacy? Someone, someone <laughs> else is going to reap the guys online and in Edinburgh uh, actually you can find a lot more details of the race off show of tickets are at Ed Fringe uh, and you can go Brandon to www.thebrendanburnshow.com there's a ton of free stuff there as well uh, I'm going to pull my finger out and it'll be on craigquartermain.com as well I thought and, you were on Twitter I do have the site I'm just a little bit lazy with the admin side of things uh, try Squarespace it's one I, I'm not oh no the site's advertise, open great I, yeah I've just managed to Figure it out. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, it is actually. Now, when it clicks, when it clicks, and you understand it, then yeah. and you understand the interface, it's really actually very easy. Cool. But well, it's a counter Oh, it's Brendon with an O. Brendonburnsshow.com and craigquarterman.com. Look them up. They are both excellent men, and they're both doing a show in Edinburgh, and you should go and see it if you can. And if you can't, send friends. Cool. Thanks for having tea with me.
Lovely rifles. 